0: All right, let's pray, and we're going to look at encouraging one another, which will be an interesting subject to to discover together. Father, thank you for the day that you've provided for us. I thank you that as we go through each day, uh, there are some days more than others where we need encouragement, we need comfort, and we thank you that you are that God of all comfort. You are the one who, as Jesus said to his disciples, would send... another comforter, another one to come alongside of us. And not only somebody who is alongside of us, but as your word tells us, your spirit dwells within us. And so, Lord, we never walk this life alone. We thank you for that. And because of that, we pray that you will help us to be a conduit of your grace to encourage others with the same encouragement that you provide to us through Christ. in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. I always try to mix it up a little bit because it can feel like we get in a rut because we're eight weeks into or 12 weeks. And uh, it can, like I said before, it can feel like... Oh, i to turn this crazy thing on. It can feel like uh, we are just going through da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I don't want that. It's the last thing I want. So turn, if you would, to eight dot, page 8.2, looking at the case study of Mary. Because as I read that, The first word that came to my mind was ouch, and I'll explain why I say ouch, all right? Let's just read that to start our thinking tonight. It says, Mary feels deeply disappointed, hurt, and disillusioned. She's been a part of West Church for over three years and has been active in the young adults group. The church has welcomed her enthusiastically, and she enjoys the Bible studies, the prayer times, and the fellowship in the young adults group. However, lately her involvement all seems hollow. Recently Mary's faith has been severely tested. Mary lost her job, was unable to work for several months because of illness. Additionally, her mother was hospitalized. What really hurts is that no one at church or in her small group seems to care. When she tries to share, she hears only polite platitudes or promises to pray that sound rather empty. She imagines that people want her that people want her to keep her personal struggles to herself. Especially perplexing, and here's where a big part of the ouch comes in for me, especially perplexing is the fact that some of Mary's old non-Christian friends have kept in touch with her and really seem to care. They have offered to spend time with her and listen as she shares the woes and troubles in her life. They ask questions and don't pretend to have all the answers. Unlike some of her church friends, they don't make her feel guilty about her plight. As a result, Mary begins to bond with her own old, old friends as she feels increasingly distant from her church friends. The whole experience leaves her feeling disillusioned with the church and with lots of unanswered questions. Having said that, uh, obviously my reason for writing Ouch! if you caught a part of it was she didn't find what she should have found of all places with the church people. And, and, and oftentimes, it's, it's like this. I mean, I, I'll admit, it's like going to a funeral home. I remember the first few times going to a funeral home when I was in ministry back in the early 80s. And the first question I thought in my mind multiple times was, what do I say? I don't, and, you know, to that point, honestly, until my father passed away in 2002, I had never had a close family member pass away. So I didn't know what that felt like. I didn't know what, they, what that would be like. So what do I say? And, and you try to think of things. You try to think, all right, listen to the people, two people in front of you. What are they saying? And that becomes kind of the easy thing to say. But if the people, two or three people in front of you are just saying the same empty things like this girl is saying or was receiving, that's the experience we have. And, and I just, as I think of that, uh, I think in terms of that is part of the struggle at times in churches, and that is... The two things that they say will keep people in the church or draw people to a church or both is if they go to this church and they feel wanted and needed. Uh, Wanted means that people care about me. Needed means I can do something here. I'm not just stuck on the sideline doing nothing. But at the end of the day, uh, if I am needed... But not wanted, in other words, then I'm getting used. That's that's the hard part. If a church is kind of like, yeah, come on, we got things for you to do, but at the end of the day, when you're feeling like Mary and you're on the outs and things, and perhaps then you get put on the damaged pile over here, there's a sense of they don't care. They just want me to make their show work, you know, and that's what we certainly don't want. So that being said, encouraging one another when we look at just the pictures i just threw a couple random pictures up here of what it feels like uh, this can be us on our on our worst days and, and just think of our worst days and we've all had we've all had multiple worst days it's like talking to Aaron in here a little bit ago uh, Aaron we were cracking up and saying yeah it's not all it's cracked up to be the adult thing you know when we're kids we want to be an adult we get to be an adult it's got responsibilities pressures problems etc 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 and i'm like you know, I want to be a three-year-old again, because the worst thing about being a three-year-old is you got to take a nap, you know? Life is basically about having fun, you know? And, and so when it comes to life, this is where we are sometimes, and even that is not the whole picture, because that picture is two people facing difficulties alone. We can be in a crowd and still feel very alone. We can be sitting in church with 300 other people and still feel like there's nobody in the room with us because it's just, life is hurting. So I, I throw this up there because that's what it can kind of feel like is everybody else is just kind of mulling through life, but there's us, and the life has just been sucked out of us. And and the question is, what does it take to put some of that life back into us when it does get sucked out of us? So I, leave, I, I kind of start with this question for all of us tonight. Just in your experience, as you think in terms of encouragement, what have people said or done that most encouraged you? When you think back on any or many circumstances, whatever they may be, uh, as a believer, and I'm, I'm saying strictly in the context of Christianity, uh, yes, there are good friends that may not be believers that have shared things, but I'm saying just in the context of Christian uh, relationships, church, whatever, what have people said or done that has most encouraged you? And maybe they were like Job's friends. They didn't say anything, they were just there with you. Yes, sir. Bill Crawford does
1: it for me every Sunday morning. Gives me a hug. I love you. I pray for you. You know, and it just lifts me up every Sunday. That's awesome. And then when we're doing Cafe Community, people will stop and thank us for what we've done. Mm-hmm. I tell them it's got to be a habit we just do it. But that's encouraging for us yeah. And I like, we were talking about it the other day, and if you teach a Sunday school class, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that you get through to your kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have the kids for an hour or whatever on Sunday morning, and you send them on your way, and you hope you have an effect on I know people like what we do. I get that immediate satisfaction that our ministry is working because bagels are gone, the coffee's
0: <laughs> gone. You know, no,
1: but I mean, it, it's, but it's nice to get that feedback, sure. and you get it from your Bible school when I mean, you do
0: Bible school you get that right away. And there's there's a, a nice mm-hmm. nice feeling. Well, and what you just described is those two very things. You feel wanted. Mm-hmm. Bill Crawford, each week, giving you a hug, great to see you, praying for you, and you feel needed. God's using you to do those things. Those are many times why people eventually drift away from the church, because one of those two, or both of those, never happened to them. And sometimes it can be their fault, sometimes it can be our fault. There can be people that will sit back and just wait and say, nobody's friendly to me. But those same people are the ones that sit down in their seat, and they walk in the door, they sit down and they plump down in their usual seat, and they never talk to anybody. So it's a both-and. Yeah, very good. What else? What encourages you, helps you most? Carolyn, mm-hmm. and then Carol.
2: In our own church, the women, we would meet, like twice a month, um, every other Friday, and we had a steadfast room meeting. Whatever is set here stays here, and there would be a lot of, you know, stuff that, you know, maybe we would be going through, I know, and just talking about and they're sitting there listening and understanding and praying for you. That's that was and losing very encouraging to mm-hmm. me. Wish we could do this more. Yeah. Um I thought <laughs> the velocity. But that
0: Yeah. Well and sometimes uh I think I think I always thought, and I I say this carefully because my wife's sitting here, I always thought that this was just a woman thing, but it's not. It's a man and a woman thing that men don't naturally get stuff out. We hold it in, we deep-six it, we stick it in a box and just don't want to deal with it, all right? But at the end of the day, what often is helpful is having a a close friend or friends that we can unburden ourselves. Now, obviously that's not the whole answer because if we are doing that then it's kind of like all right we're just doing the all right now my friends become my psychiatrist sitting and i'm in the couch and they're just listening to me all right that's obviously not enough but sometimes that's what is one of the biggest steps towards somebody being convinced that you at least care about them, right all right Kara. i have a
3: friend that regularly like, texts me and just says you know i'm praying for you i'm thinking about you how are you doing but then she'll just say something like you know this is how i should should be praying about this or reminding me how to take something back to the Lord. And
2: I think that's a good,
0: it's a, a helpful. So the person cares enough to check on you, but gently nudges you toward not just getting it out, but with God's help dealing with it. Very good. Trish.
2: I think back to the day when he had his triple bypass and it was a long day because he was in surgery a long time.
0: And I was getting texting messages every few minutes from him. Friends here, family that was just thinking about you, praying about you, and it was like they were all
2: right
1: there with me, so yeah. and I so it was it was made it easier, that's for sure. Yeah. So what did Jen have on her Facebook? A couple of hundred. She put yeah, she, she yeah. just put out on her Facebook, Facebook that yeah. I was gonna have the surgery and she had a couple of hundred responses. Yeah. And then, you know, people knew, I knew her that I didn't know, but just reading them they heard about
0: that was a big Yeah. Anything else? was that simply I'm struggling with us from whatever you know, just you knowing just having that prior relationship with the, you know, the, the uh, so, Yeah, yeah. now that's great matter of fact I want to read a verse and here's you, you brought that to my attention so let me just read a verse Um this is Proverbs 18.24 I hope it's Proverbs 18.24 we'll find out here in a second um it's a verse that, back in the early 80s, I was doing a series teaching in the youth group, and I was teaching a series on friends and friendship. And I remember going to quote this verse, and in the King James version, Proverbs 18:24 says, uh, "There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother," but it says, "He that hath friends must show himself friendly." So, you know, part of my teaching was, "All right." If you're going to have friends, you're going to be friendly. And then you're going to have those ones that stick closer than a brother. But then you go to all the other versions, and they say a very different way of saying it. So listen to what it says here. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Well, that's a big difference from he that, if you're going to be friend, have friends, you got to show yourself friendly to a man of many companions may come to ruin. Well, that really is a better translation, and most of the new versions all have that. Well, what's the point? The point is exactly what Troy just illustrated, and that is we can have a lot of acquaintances, but at the end of the day, there, there needs to be one, two, three, whatever it is, close friends that I can be honest with, but also I can, with that person, trust that they will be honest with me of what I might need to hear that I don't necessarily want to hear or that they're just willing to listen. They will uh, be that one that will stick closer than a brother even when I'm a knucklehead sort of thing. All right? So that being said, let's go back to eight, page 8.1. Fact, before we do that, let me jump one more slide in. I forgot that I threw the second slide in here. This is kind of, I don't even want to open this can of worms, but I'm going to just kind of peel the lid back for a second and then put the lid back down real quick, all right? We talk about self-esteem, self-love, self-image. This is language of psychology. Um, And again, as I've said before, if I haven't said in this class, I'll really quickly, in capsule form, answer the question that's often asked, and that is, does does psychology have any benefit for us? And I would say, here's how we need to, as a Christian, view psychology psychology can be descriptive but it cannot be prescriptive have I said that before okay you know if I if I get the glassy log or not okay then I've gotten the answer all right what I mean by that is psychology has done a very good job of helping us see human behavior because they've studied human behavior for the last hundred years in modern psychology modern psychiatry they have watched human behavior and said here are some of the things that normally happen with this human behavior. That's helpful. Or too often just looking at something going, okay, I'm just gonna shoot from the hip and think this is what's going on, which we have no clue. But what psychology cannot do is it cannot be prescriptive. What I means is a doctor diagnoses what the problem is and he prescribes medicine. Psychology cannot really diagnose what is wrong with man. He can say this is what man's behavior is like, and and, and if his behavior is like this, we've given this this name, and we've called it a mental illness. But here's the problem. They have thrown out a couple of key issues in that that scenario. They've thrown out the fact that they don't believe there's a God because most modern psychiatrists of the last 100 years of the leading lights like Sigmund Freud. uh, I just totally blanked out. Maslow, all these guys, they admit, they were, they were atheists. They did not believe in sin. You don't bring up sin in people's lives. You're going to mess them up. But all through that, it built into this thing that has come out in the last 100 years of self-esteem, self-love, self-image, and that is the way we find satisfaction in life, the reason we're all goofed up is because we have a bad self-image. We have a bad self-esteem. So, why do I say all that? What's What am I blabbing on and on about? Well, let me just throw this up here. And I'm not here to bash James Dobson. Um, just understand this. James Dobson was never a theologian. He did not go to Bible college or seminary. He, his major, his, his studies were in psychology. He's a believer. He has weaved in, but I will say, he, like others, is what we call an integrationist. He has mixed things from psychology and Scripture together. And the question that has been asked for the last 25 years is, is that legitimate to do, to mix the two together? Because the question is, if I mix the two together, do I then make thinking in psychology equal to thinking in Scripture? And I can never do that. Because if I make thinking in psychology equal to thinking in Scripture, then I've brought Scripture down. All right? Here's what he says. Though. Here's what I'm wrestling with in encouraging. Because sometimes we think of encouragement as making people just feel about saying good things, saying boy, hey, you're doing a great job. You're greater than you think you are, all this kind of stuff. These are parts of it. It comes from this type of thing. Here's from one of his books what he says about, and you'll notice the things that I highlighted. The matter of personal worth is not only only the concern of those who lack it. In a real sense, the health of an entire society depends on the ease with which its individual members can gain personal acceptance. Thus, whenever the keys to self esteem are seemingly out of reach for a large percentage of the people, as in 20th century America, then widespread mental illness, neuroticism, hatred, alcoholism, drug abuse, violence, and social disorder will certainly occur. In other words, he is saying, because our self-esteem is not intact, that's why these things have happened. Now, all right, I will just simply say I beg to differ, but we're not going to go on farther than that, other than to throw two other guys up here from quite a few years ago, all right? Here is Stephen Charnock, who was a 17th century theologian uh, from the 1600s. Here's what he said It's interesting, and I just read the preliminary going up to it, until the advent of humanist psychology, which again, understand, that's, that's within the last hundred years. That's, what, that's really where it's come, and it's heavy influence in the church. Christians generally thought, years and years ago, of self-esteem as a sinful attitude. In the 17th century, Stephen Charnock wrote, self-esteem, self-dependence, self-willingness is denying affection and subjection to God. So when we focus on me and my esteem and how I feel and how I'm viewed, when we start doing that, we're doing the opposite of what God is calling us to do. Spurgeon said it this way, Spurgeon, looking at the Beatitudes, which Pastor has been preaching through, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, said the poor in spirit describe the poor in spirit as having an absence of self-esteem rather than having the presence of it in other words they they have this right spirit because they have this right view of themselves okay so the reason i'm laboring that is where we're not trying to go tonight and and i and i'm going as i said other weeks sometimes i'll go through stuff in here but i don't want to just blab and read I, i could read the book that you've read some of you have read all right But, I want us to think about it because at the end of the day, we have to make sure that when we are commanded to encourage one another, what's that supposed to look like? What's that supposed to sound like when we're making those discussions or having those conversations? So, encouragement isn't simply just a bunch of attaboys and I hope it all works out and you're better than you think you are and you're greater than what your mom or dad might have said yeah, our parents might have said something, As we, if you read in the book, um, uh, Larry Crabb gives an illustration, a couple of illustrations of words that either took the life out of somebody or words that gave such hope that it turned it around for them. All right, that's what we want to think about. Now, moving on, let's grasp the issue. Here's the key questions. And if you notice up here, one thing I did, these are the questions on the middle of page 8.1 on grasp the issue. I've done something with the questions because I want to highlight something that obviously it's not highlighted in here, but I want to because I will confess that of the chapters we've gone through so far, this chapter is the one that I feel like the extra reading that we did, the consult other sources, eh, I wasn't so crazy about it. I wasn't so crazy about it because I felt like it didn't completely answer how we encourage one another. Because here's what, it, here's what the key questions are. What does the Bible say about being an encouraging Christian? All right? We need to answer that. But notice the things that I highlighted and read in these last, three, last two questions. While we have all been stung by harsh words and soothed by encouraging words, how can we elevate our skills at building up others in their faith? All right? How can we, third, how can we improve our ability to encourage one another in their daily walk with God? In other words, I'm already tipping my hat a little bit. It's not enough to just say we're trying to encourage people to make them feel better about themselves. That's what society says we need to do. The reason they're goofed up, the reason they're neurotic, the reason they're having mental illnesses, the reason they're uh, killing people because they said they ate a Twinkie is because they've got this bad view of themselves, and 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 they have they have they don't have enough love for themselves. And Scripture would say now. They have plenty of love for themselves. That is the problem already. The problem is when we're trying to encourage people is not to get them to look at what is in them to figure this all out. It's to encourage them with what God has for them that can give them hope. So when we look at the sound bites, I'm not even going to discuss those other than to read three scriptures that are there. Because I think that that's going to give the hope for us. That's going to give a little direction for us uh, the second statement under sound bites, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. In other words, we can be like Christian in the book Pilgrim's Progress with this weight on our back and, and, the, and the weight is lifted off. Um, that's what words can do from the right person at the right time. First, uh, uh, right below that two lines, below that Proverbs 16:24, pleasant words, are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And then finally down Proverbs 25, 11, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. In other words, the picture is, here is this beautiful picture, it's a satisfying picture. Words spoken in the right way can accomplish amazing things in our lives. Now, Here's where my tension is, and I, I'm playing this out early, and then we'll come back to it when we get into the consult the other sources. Mm-hmm. I think that words are important, all right, but the words have to have a goal in mind. Not just, let me give you words that make you feel better. Making you feel better. Let me just say this right now. If we think that encouragement is simply making somebody feel better, then we don't understand biblical encouragement. because I've already hinted at, with the highlighted red section, if you notice, it it talks about soothe by encouraging words, but most of what's asked in these questions is the heart of the matter. And that is, I'm not just looking to make somebody feel better. Now, obviously, I'm not looking to make them feel worse, but making them feel better is going to be rooting in helping them to think better. Um, If we think wrong, that's sometimes why we feel so bad. And and part of encouraging them is encouraging them that will direct them toward their faith. All right. So let me just pause before we jump into the next thing, these next scriptures we're going to look at. Any comments so far? I know I threw some stuff up here about self-esteem and encouragement, what I've said so far. Any comments or questions at this point? Yes, ma'am. I
3: think it's kind of funny that we're kind of heading in this direction Mm -hmm. just because um, when you were saying before, like, what encourages you? And and I was thinking about it, and, and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I mean, you have like the things like, oh, wow, well, you know, hey, how are you doing today? It's good to see you, and things like that that are the kind of shallow sort of things. And I'm like, no, that's not it. And I really thought about it, and I thought about uh, one of the things that Fight does is, you know, if I'm having a bad day or something, I'll come to her I'll just, I'll and I'll just a rant and a rave, and I'll say, this is wrong, and this this is what's going on, and this is nonsense, and she'll be like, Jen, stop, you're sinning right now. And it's like a smack in the face, but then it's so encouraging because she's like, stop. You need to get yourself right. And you need to get yourself right. So what you're saying there about how it, 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 we have to make sure that we're thinking right and we have to make sure, like, to me, that's the most encouraging thing is when she does that and lays, lays the smack down on my sin. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, so it's, I just I just think that's kind of funny. Well, yeah. You know? and-
0: and you, oh, guys are, you guys are uniquely personalities that you could do that. Could do Some that. people could be crushed by that, right? right? Some people could just take it like, you know, you're just preaching at me, you know, like get over it sort of thing. Right. But they have the personality and they have the relationship. And I think that's part of the key, too. Um, scripture is talking about, when, it, when we said this picture uh, back in Proverbs twenty-five, eleven. a word aptly spoken is not just... The right words, but it's the right words in the right way at the right time, okay? Because that's all part of it. You know, this apples of gold and pictures of silver is intended to be this beautiful picture that can't be improved on. But aptly spoken involves timing, involves delivery, and involves relationship. There's a relationship that allows that. Like Troy just said, I've got a close friend or two that I could go to. And I know that they're not going to just give me fluff. They're going to encourage me, let me talk. But at the same time, they might shoot back. And they might shoot back in a way that <coughs> helpful are and, and that's what we want to look at. So that being said, uh, anything else? I'm sorry, very good. Thank you. Yes, Carolyn. If you're wearing purple tonight, you can raise your hand because it's like purple <laughs> night tonight. <so. laughs> now I just messed up your train of thought. I'm sorry <laughs> about that. Um, it
2: was just about... You know, encouragement is not always, a, and, you know, a um, nicey, nice word, you know, oh, it'll be better, it'll be okay. Um, it's sometimes getting into their face and say, stop it. That's mm-hmm. not the right thinking. It's, you know, getting their, like you said, getting them back to their faith.
0: still it ends up being an encouragement right and strengthening now let me ask you a question because we just had two of you talking about that alright but if we are hurting I mean if, if we have a, a big hurt going on um, and I don't mean you know pressures and stresses and, and just people at work and whatever else but I mean just literally something that's going on in our life that sucks is sucking the life out of, we, out of us and um, do we want a smackdown?
2: No, not, I would say no, right. not that particular situation. Correct. But you yeah. have to know the situation. Mm-hmm. You have to know the person, and not really listen to the Holy Spirit when you're, you know, when you're talking to that person. And I think the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. I
0: heard but, and I saw your hands stop going I go from verbal to verbal. So, <clears> well, <throat>
2: just really
3: quick, at the same time, like yeah you're hurting and things are awful and you feel like the soul has been sucked out of you but having that being pushed and saying hey no no that's not right it can get you back on track usually when you're like that you're oh, you're, you're going in and you're you know you're you're hurting and you're just focusing on yourself and you're wallowing in it and sometimes that gives you an opportunity to look out and to go, okay, this is something I can do. I need to work on my attitude. And sometimes even just having that that thing to do, you know, work on yourself, get it together, get it together, that can, I think it can pull you out.
0: Right, right. Well, I agree. And I'm not disagreeing. I'm saying that oftentimes we think in terms of this idea of encouraging one another, we often think under that umbrella of encouraging one another are people who are hurting Have had the life kicked out of them. I mean, here's what it feels like somebody's had, you know, they've had the life knocked out of them and they feel like they're on the ground. and I'm going to be very careful, but I'll be very honest because I've heard people say this and think this they're on the ground and God's kicking them. You know, it's like, you know, come on, God, just give me a break. I don't understand what's going on here. And so if I then step up like Job's three friends and go, hey, it's probably because of sin and, you know, you lost all your kids. It's probably because you just were, you know, you're not living the way you should have been living and, you have know, been preaching all this stuff for forever, but now it's like the real you is coming out We're finding out. And, you know, the best that they did for him was was the seven days that they didn't say a word. You know, when they opened their mouth, it was like encouragement went out the window sort of thing. So this is the tension. I mean, I'm playing up the tension here of, again, Proverbs twenty-five, eleven: a word apt is spoken. There will be times when the best thing I can do is like shake somebody, and go, "Come on, you, you, you got to settle here," you know. And then, once I've got their attention, I sit down, and say, "Hey, let's talk this out. Let's let's see what we can do to help." Yes, Matt.
2: Kind of try
3: that out a little more. Like, I have a friend who smacked, you know, smacked it into me and was like, um, "Not to be mean, but that's pride." You know, and then, she, but she went on to say, but, you know, this is what God says about that, and this is who you have in Christ. You know, she smacked me and then was like, but I love you, and God loves you, and here are truths that you can follow. Or, you know, later on, she'll text me, I'm praying these specific things for you, or, you know, the scripture says this about what you're struggling with, and, you know, she'll follow it up, not just leave you on the ground. Yeah.
0: Now, when we have people like that, Why are we comfortable with some people like that talking that way to us? What makes us comfortable with them doing that?
3: Relationship.
0: Yeah. Relationship, trust. We we already know that they care because there's a relationship and trust that allows them to have the credibility to speak that firmly into my life. If there's not relationship and trust, it's like people walking up, to you in the midst of it and giving you a pious platitude answer and it's almost like a mini sermonette and you walk away feeling like you just got preached at and I'm like, I didn't hardly know you and you really don't even understand what's going on in my life based on what you just said to me. Alright? But if we have a friend, if we have trust, relationship, care, then yeah, they can speak directly, sometimes forcefully, because faithful are the wounds of a friend. Alright? Uh, a friend is willing to take that risk of potentially losing that friendship to speak truth um, because they do love you. Uh, that's part of it. Did you have your hand raised? You no? Know, okay. Alright, so let's go to the scriptures here. Um, on page 8.2, matter of fact, let me just throw up this answer to our question. Here's what I throw out, and again, this is just my dreamed up answer trying to think it through before I jumped into it. What is the central question or issue before us? Here's what I put. And I purposely thought in terms of what I was wrestling with at the beginning when I was looking at this chapter. Encouraging one another is a means of giving people hope through a perspective rooted in God. All right? Now, I say, I didn't say anything about words. All right? You may say, well, we're supposed to talk about words. Uh, Sometimes encouraging can simply be, I mean, honestly having somebody when you're down and out and something's really bad and you just got told the worst possible news that you could ever imagine just somebody come alongside sitting down next to you putting their arm around you you just feel like hey they care they don't need to give me an answer they don't need to say something to me right so there the whole point is i want to start with encouraging by giving people hope but ultimately that hope is going to have to be rooted in god that doesn't mean a sermon, that doesn't mean a lecture, that doesn't mean, well, you got this problem, so this is what you do. Um, my wife's had to teach me has to, had to, had to teach me through all our years, coming up in 25 years, um, what she doesn't need is a sermon from the preacher at home, right? and she doesn't need me to hear and figure it out and give her, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this because that's what guys do, all right? Here's the problem. Here's the solution. I already told you the answer to that. Why haven't you figured that out? Why haven't you done my plan? All right? Because there's way more to it than that. Um, it's it's much deeper than that. So this is my attempt at understanding what encouraging one another is. We're giving people hope, but that hope is not in my well-crafted words. My words will hopefully give them a perspective that's rooted in God. But that's what's going to give them hope. So here on page 8.2... We're only going to look at two of the scriptures that are in front of us here. We won't look at the third one. But Ephesians 4.29-5.2. We're just going to read that. Um, Matter of fact, uh, there's one part that just has stuck with me for years that I really wanted to highlight. But look if you would at these verses. uh, Page 8.2. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving one another. Why? Just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly beloved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All right, Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, Be imitators of God. That's kind of a hinge from chapter 4 into chapter 5. The hinge that's swinging the door of what we're supposed to do in relationship. But go back to verse 29, the very beginning of this text. Huge, huge. And we're going to come to this in our question on page 8.3. Uh, when it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk The the word unwholesome literally means decaying or rotting. Um, The word that was used, that Paul used here, was used of rotting, decaying fish, all right? Stinking, rotting fish. We lived in China, on the east coast of China. We go further east in our city. Um, There was a fishing village that was slowly becoming developed more and more in the city but you could go through when the weather is warm, and you go through and the windows of the buses are open, and they got them out there mending hum- humongous fishing nets, and you smell fish, you know? And people are selling fish, and it's there. Well, just, <laughs> it's funny, if you, could, if you could look and see what I see on Wednesday nights, just saying rotting fish, I mean, I'm getting facial reactions from people in the audience, and you know? it's like, okay, gross, you know? So you got the idea. That's the word he uses there. Words that are putrid, words that are rotten, words that cause decay rather than words that cause healing. He says, don't let any kind of those words come out of our mouth. that can rot a relationship, rot people's hearts and souls. But here's where this translation, and quite frankly, I'm not sure what translation is in here, but they choose, I felt they chose a weak translation because at the end of verse 29 it says, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it's giving a purpose that it may benefit those who listen. Um, It's a weak translation because in some of the translations it says it will minister grace to the hearers. say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the word grace is in this text. In other words, here's what God says, and this is the incredible part of encouragement. If you forget anything tonight, grab onto this statement in, in Ephesians 4.29 because this has, this has come back to me time and time and time and time again. Here's what God is saying. We say we live by grace. We must live by grace. We can't do the Christian life alone. But God is saying one of the ways that He is regularly dispensing His grace to you and me is through our words toward one another. In other words, your words, my words are a conduit of God's grace or they can be a means of shutting down that same grace. So that doesn't mean that God won't give grace to them any other way. But what it is saying is our words, and this is why then he goes into anger, wrath, malice, slander. I mean, this is the stinky fish words. This is the stinky fish stuff, You know what he's talking about in the next part. But literally, part of the way we will stand And keep on going when Proverbs says the righteous man falls seven times and he gives up no the righteous man falls seven times he keeps getting back up and part of it is because going through Proverbs he has friends friends that speak truth friends that stick closer than a brother and and as we're seeing here God is saying we give the right words that are rooted in a perspective rooted in God that ministers grace. One of the ways that you and I receive the grace that we need. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, For by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he goes on to say, I labored more abundantly than they all, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that was with me. It's God's grace that sustains us. It's God's grace that strengthens us. But one of the huge ways that he delivers it is through his people and their verbal interactions with one another. That's why, as I've said many times before from this series we're going through, we were never intended to live in isolation as believed. When we live in isolation, we stay baby Christians and we stay focused on ourselves. But this is a part of it. So as we're, as we're thinking through this, here's the question over on page 8.3. As we're thinking of unwholesome talk, don't let any stinky fish work. Rotten dead fish, if I could get that picture in your mind. Um, Maybe that will stay with you. Why, it says, the second question at the top of page 8.3, why does unwholesome talk grieve God so much? Why is that true? Just practically speaking, what do you think? Why, Why is it that when we go through this, it will say in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God? that this unwholesome talk that he's referred to generally in verse 29 and goes into detail in verse 31 will literally grieve the Spirit of God. Why? Yes, Carolyn. It's not uplifting
2: the person who's listening
0: to it and it's not really showing God's love. Okay. Good. Two things she said there. It's not doing what verse 29 says and that is lifting them up with God's grace but it's also... Chapter 5, verse 1, it's not, it's not imitating or mirroring, as verse 1 says, be imitators of God, God's love. Because that's what the next couple of verses are talking about. Look at verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Dearly loved children, verse 2, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us. Alright, so we have love, love, love. That is imitating God. Good. What else? Why else does unwholesome talk grieve God so much? Yes, sir. He tears things down instead of lifting them up. Okay. And instead of building up the church, we're destroying the church. And Christ says, I gave myself for the church so that the church would be a glorious church. All right? What else? These two may be one and the same, but I'll just throw these out there. Uh, I guess I'm looking at it in two different ways. These kind of words will divide us. Um, when we say harsh words to people, and, and sometimes we can shoot straight, all right? Jenny was just talking about how the Val can shoot straight. Some people, I mean honestly, some people's personality would think that what Val did was harsh and unencouraging. But there's a relationship, and there's a personality, and there's an understanding in that relationship. Some people can be very, very sensitive personalities and they would just walk away like she just crushed me, you know. She didn't care about me. But when we talk about harsh words, I'm talking about harsh words that will divide us because these are words that don't have God in view. The words that Val shot straight took Jenny's attention right to God and away from herself, all right. So harsh words can be words that divide us. Another thing is uh, deceitful words can be words that that alienate us. Again, if we are not honest, going, we don't have it in this text, but if you went back a couple verses in Ephesians 4, he says to shut down all lying but speak truth to one another because when we aren't honest, it alienates us. All right? We are to be different in our talk. Anything else? And I know we're getting to like the last 14 minutes... It's a warm room, and it's Wednesday, and it's only two weeks to Thanksgiving. Just seeing if everybody's listening. All right. Okay. If I throw one more into the mix here, I would say this. These unwholesome talk, because it divides us, because it alienates us, it goes against everything that Jesus prayed in John 17. Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, as you and I are one, I pray that they too will be one so that we will be one. But when words are dividing us, alienating us, not only are they not just encouraging us, but they are blowing apart what Christ gave himself for to be unified. And that is, he gave his life so that we would be one, the body of Christ, whether it's in China, whether it's in Japan, whether it's in Bolivia, whether it's in Canada or even here in America, that the body of Christ will be one, unified in Christ, and part of that, even in our local churches, is in our communication. All right, let me take a next step. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. This is an interesting, a very interesting text because it is a, a warning for us that we need to consider in regard to encouragement. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Some of you have probably heard this this description before, but I'll just uh, play it out a little bit so we have the picture. When we have the words in John uh, chapter 16 where Jesus says, I'm going to send another comforter, and the word that's used of the Holy Spirit, comforter, and the word used for encouragement or comfort, literally is taking two words that means called alongside. All right? So it gives a picture of somebody who comforts us. You know, here's the person going back. Let's go back to this. This will make it easier. All right. Here's this person. Here's that person sitting all alone. All right? Somebody comes up, comes alongside them. Says what's going on? What What can I help? With? And just begins to see to find what's going on. That's the picture of encouragement. That's the picture of coming alongside. Uh, we are not this way toward them. We are this way toward them. Now again, that doesn't mean we can't talk that way. Um, you know, there are there are so many pictures in Scripture, but that's just one of them. Of. A word that describes the Holy Spirit also gives us a picture. He's literally called alongside. He's alongside of us in this. Now, here's what it says. When we look at this, there's two questions. Uh, Matter of fact, you help me. This will help keep us engaged and not die here tonight, all right? Two questions that it lays out, all right? First question According to this passage, what is one goal of encouragement? As you read that, as you heard that, as you see that, what is one goal of encouragement? Go ahead, Jenny.
3: Keep your heart from turning away from God.
0: Okay. You going to add anything else to that? Are you going to say that here? That's what I was going to say. Okay. If you notice what it's saying is, how often do we need to be encouraged? Okay, it says, while it's called today, which is another way of saying it, every stinking day, all right? Now, that doesn't mean that we got to just frantically run around going, hey, hope you're doing well, hope you're looking for God, we'll run around like that. That isn't the point. The point is, the point is ultimately this, that if we are not in relationship with one another in such a way that we could know them, love them, and, and, be close enough to them to see their sinfulness because here's what we do we get close enough to people just close enough to have fun with them but not to let our guard down all right because we don't want to show our dirty laundry we don't want to show our skeletons in the closet but that's 21st century living that wasn't their living in the early days because the reality is the writer of hebrews is saying Part of the reason people get shipwrecked in their faith is because they've hit it, they've hit it, they've hit it, and nobody has been close enough to them to see it. And suddenly, we all have seen these circumstances, and we go, "Where did that come from? How did we not see that coming?" All right. It's because we've allowed ourselves to let something go. You know, and and each of us are different. Some people are better things than others. I am not a visionary. My wife and I were just talking about this over here today. I'm not the visionary. I'm not that kind of person, all right? Um, but I will tend to be the kind of person that when I'm seeing a crowd or a group, I will see people on the fringe, and I don't want them to be on the fringe. I want them to somehow be in. You know, It's kind of like David and his early group. I said this to you. I was saying this to somebody the other day. You know, David, at the end of his reign, he had his mighty men. He had this list of men listed in Scripture, which, interestingly, one of them was Uriah, the one that he wanted to kill to get Bathsheba, so go figure. He was one of his mighty men. These were men that were the best of the best. They were like the Navy SEALs, the Army Rangers, whatever you want to call them. But these guys would give their life for the king. But when David first started, you look at the list of people before he became king, and there's a there's a passage in First Samuel, and First Samuel, First Kings, where it says, all these discouraged, defeated, down and out, beaten up, poor people, where all the people hang with David. And suddenly at the end of his reign, he's got mighty men. Something went on. Something was going on. And the whole point I'm trying to draw out is there is in our lives people that we will see even at community. That as we look around, as as we talked about some Sunday about being friendly. That was two Sundays ago, right? You know, being friendly means we go out and we say hi to all our friends we know rather than being friendly. We think we're a friendly church, but yeah, we're friendly with our friends, all right? But stop and think. One of the best things that we can be doing as a church is constantly walking out to cafe communities. It's a little hard for you guys because you guys are crazy busy. The rest of us, all right? Looking around and going, who do I see standing by themselves? Or who do I see frequently sitting by themselves that I need to engage? Because that may be the very person that God is saying, hey, encourage one another daily. That doesn't mean they get a sin problem. That's not my point. But discouragement, defeat, difficult situations can lead to that because we can handle those things in a wrong way. Now, here's the second question they ask. How do you think an encouragement can help protect us from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, how does that protect us? That's probably the harder question, Carolyn. Um, by
2: reminding us of God's love for us and that God is with us even if it doesn't feel do good. Good,
0: good. Because we are a voice for God, delivering His grace even when we feel like He's not there. I've seen articles written by different men that are both great writers. One of them's talking about the silence of God. And another guy writing an article saying, there is no such thing as the silence of God. Well, that's true because ultimately God has spoken in his word. But there are times when it feels like, God, I'm talking, I'm crying, I'm screaming, and, and it's like nothing's going on. And, and, and there is a measure where I do believe God and his wisdom allows us to feel that distance so we will be forced to stop and think about what He wants us to think about. That's a healthy thing, even though it's a wicked, uncomfortable thing. But then on the other side is, that may be then a way that He gives people into our life who becomes that voice and that conduit of His grace so that we will be encouraged, comforted by somebody who has already been comforted by God. And then we hand on the baton too, and we are a part of those encouragers panning on his baton throughout the church now, the power of a well-timed work, this was the article that I'm like, it wasn't bad but it it was because uh, Larry Crabb is one of what we call integrationists in counseling, doesn't mean he's a bad guy, doesn't mean he's not a believer Um, I'm just not necessarily comfortable with the weaving of, of psychology and Christianity together and If you've read through this article, he's talking about well-timed words and the power of words, but where I struggled with it was going to this issue right here. Ultimately, encouragement is about building up others in their faith, in their daily walk with God, and the illustrations he gives in here doesn't as much focus on that as it does just helping them to pull their boots up and go, I can do this and keep going, and then I become, instead of a stammering, muttering person, I become a public speaker, sort of thing. You know, that that's where I wrestle. But let me just hit a couple highlights here that I think are helpful. Look down at the bottom left column of page 8.5. Alright? That bottom left column bottom paragraph. It says, when God instructs us to encourage one another, whenever we come together, he is including the admonition to harness the power of words for a specific purpose. Alright? I agree with that. Totally agree with that. Where I just wrestled with in this article was, he didn't go far enough to explain what that specific purpose was, because that specific purpose is this, their faith, their daily walk with God. That doesn't mean we're out there to preach sermons. That doesn't mean we slap them down with five verses. That doesn't mean that we tell them, hey, I've told you what to do, why aren't you doing it sort of thing. That's not what it means. But it isn't just simply words to help them get up and get going. That's a part of it. But if all we do is words that help them to get up and get going, that's no different than what the world does. Because the world is using Nike to say, hey, you can do it. You can make a difference. And it's using all these sports things to say, if you wear this, you will be successful. You do this, you're going to be great. All right? That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for a reason to get up and keep going is God, Uh, not the fact that I got something in me. All right? So I agree. It's taking words and using those words for specific purpose. All right? Go over across the page, same page, right column. Uh, first full, no, second full paragraph. I think it's a full paragraph. It's You see the box there that says verbal encouragement? Just to the right of that is the paragraph that that's in. That's what I want us to look at. Verbal encouragement includes the idea of a person joining someone else on a journey and speaking words that encourage the traveler to keep pressing on despite obstacles and fatigue. All right. Again, that's a wonderful picture. It's a wonderful picture. Somebody's on a journey. They're about ready to give up. And probably the best picture of that is the marathon. Maybe I've talked to this before. Somebody running in a marathon, 26.2. I would like to have a sticker in the back of my car that says 0.0 instead of 26.2 because that ain't going to happen. But 26.2, anybody who's ever run in a marathon will all say they hit a what? They hit the wall. Right? There's a point where your body is literally breaking down, physically has used up every bit of nutrients and they're going to have to fight that last two or three miles. Well, that's what happens for some of us at times in our lives. We're just, the life is sucked out of us, we're struggling, we can't keep going. Well, with both of these statements, he is saying we want to help them to keep pressing on. we want to use words for a specific purpose. But in this article, where I struggled was, it didn't seem to tie it mostly to the relationship with God. It was simply about words that give them power to get up and get going. All right? That's my tension. Now, let me just go one more step in this article. On 8.6, when it says shallow words there, if you go to that next page. Under shallow words, the third full paragraph, it says this. And this is what I think Jenny alluded to. Somebody alluded to this earlier. Many of our polite greetings, good to see you, or let's get together sometime, or how are you, I haven't talked to you in ages, are gracefully disguised ways of saying, keep your distance, I'm just being polite. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Which means, you ever ask the question, how are you, and then you wish, I wish I wouldn't ask that question because somebody just spends the next 20 minutes telling me how they are, and I'm going... Mental note, never ask that person that question because they're going to tell you. And and yet, that's what we do. I mean, I, I, that is one of my my most frequent greetings. And when I was in China teaching them about the bazillion different ways we say hi in America, hey, what's up, you can just go on and on and on. I would, my one of mine is constantly, how are you? How are you doing? Now, we really don't mean it. It's like saying hello, howdy, what's up? You know, there's just no way of saying hello. But it is hitting on the reality that we don't think about our words. And we need to think about our words. Because our words, Ephesians 4.29, can be a conduit of God's grace. That's the point. Now, we've run out of time. I wasn't even going to do the formal response. I was going to discuss it, but I'll stop with that tonight. You know, I, I obviously, my point was not just to blister Larry Crabb's article. I think there were some helpful things in there. My point was to say I felt it was deficient. It, it used, it talked about words, it talked about how words can be powerful, but and it talked about even a specific purpose. But I want to go back to the specific purpose in encouraging others is using those words to give them hope, and that hope is in God. That hope is not in their ability to pull themselves up. Um, they're in that situation because God wants them to realize they can't pull themselves up. And and oftentimes we want to, we think, it, it's like that old adage of, you've heard the story of somebody watches the moth trying to break out of the cocoon, so somebody thinks, oh, this is a great idea, I'm going to help it get out of the cocoon, I'm going to cut it open. And then you find out that that moth never develops and it just ends up falling to the ground because part of it growing its strength, and whatever goes into turning it from a little uh, caterpillar worm, whatever you going call it, to a beautiful butterfly or moth, is that process that if we cut the cocoon open, it short-circuits it. And my point in saying that is, sometimes in our encouragement, we run so quickly to let me help you get out of the problem. But maybe God wants them in that problem, and our role is not to rescue them from that problem, our role is to help them to see God in that problem, and that's where their hope's going to come. That doesn't mean with what Job's friends did. Hey, you're in this mess because you sinned, and you know here's the things I'm seeing that you're not seeing. And man, if you could see what I see, you know, no wonder God took your kids away from you. And it's like, really? Are you kidding me? But at the same time, there can be truth that we speak, and if there is, as we talk tonight, there is relationship there is trust, there is a genuine sense of care, then we have a platform with with which we can encourage somebody. If we don't, then sometimes maybe the best thing we can do is be Job's friends in the first seven days. Come alongside, we sit there, and we just say, I'm going to pray for you. But don't jump into, let me just tell you all these things, when i got no relationship with them, Because it can feel like, it can feel like, I just got sermonized. I just got... Does that make sense tonight? And you're like, shut up, pal, time to go, because I hear people <laughs> Let's pray, let's go home. Father, thank you for the love that you show to us, even as we, we read it in a couple different ways there in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, that we are to be a forgiving people, specifically and fully and completely, because we have been forgiven completely in Christ. We are to be a loving people, because we are fully loved by you, And help us, Father, to imitate that, to mirror that, to show that to others so that they will have hope. And as we walk out of here tonight, help us to look for somebody who we might see that has been on the fringe that we need to come up and say, hey, I don't know you, but I'd like to know you. Or a Catholic community or whatever. Help us to be alert to that so that people will truly feel wanted. And if they serve, will feel needed as they serve Christ. We ready.